0: Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm talking with Ashok Gupta. We're going to be talking about neuroplasticity brain retraining for chronic conditions. Ashok Gupta is an internationally renowned speaker, filmmaker, and health practitioner who has dedicated his life to supporting people through chronic illness and achieving their potential. Ashok suffered from ME or chronic fatigue syndrome around 25 years ago when he was studying at Cambridge University. Through neurological research that he conducted, he managed to get himself yourself 100% better. He then set up a clinic to treat others, and then published the well-known recovery program known as the Gupta Program in 2007. He has published several medical papers and is continually researching these conditions. In 2017, Ashok published a popular 4.7-star rated app called The Meaning of Life Experiment, a 30-day program of videos and meditations, to discover more happiness, meaning, and to co- uncover your life purpose. I really hope you enjoy my conversation today with Ashok Gupta. I'm thrilled and honored to have Ashok Gupta today talking about neuroplasticity brain retraining for chronic conditions. This has been such an important part of my work with uh, patients who are struggling with chronic illness and I've just seen wonderful results when patients have gone through the Gupta program. So we're going to be picking Ashok's brain today and learning so much about how we can change our brain. So welcome so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Christine, for inviting me. Lovely to be here.
0: Many people that I interview often have a personal journey or a personal story that really helps them to be so passionate about the work that they share today. So like those uh, pioneers and thought leaders, you have your own personal journey with chronic fatigue syndrome or um, what we call also ME about 20 years ago. Can you just tell us how this journey began for you and how you recovered?
1: Uh, yes, I'd love to share. So I actually suffered from ME, uh, sometimes called chronic fatigue syndrome, when I was studying at university. And I had it to a moderate to severe level uh, for a number of years. And I remember, you know, that very moment, like we've all been through those journeys where suddenly you think, what on earth is going on here? I have to do something about this. Everybody's telling me there's no cure, there's no way through. And as a young person having this brick wall to say, you cannot move forward, that's it. You may have this for decades. And I said to myself, you know this is such a horrible feeling. If I can get myself well, I will spend the rest of my life trying to help other people getting well. And so I decided to embark on a journey of self-discovery, but also studying brain neurology, physiology, the, the literature around chronic fatigue at that time, and managed to put together hypotheses as to what I felt caused uh, the condition. And so I wrote the medical paper, which got published, and then set up a clinic to treat others. And before, as I was writing the paper, I managed to, in an ad hoc way, retrain my brain and get myself back uh, to health. So that was my kind of journey and how it all started.
0: So Ashok, you talk about the brain and how we can really retrain the brain. And many people who are listening have different understandings of what our brain uh, can do and the potential that it holds. And so can you just maybe before we even dive into what limbic retraining means, share what what do we even talk about when we talk about neuroplasticity? Because I think that's still a new understanding for many people. We think the brain is this really, it's not as dynamic, it's really stuck in patterns, it's hard to change, neurons don't regrow, you know, when you have have a condition that's, you know, that's what you have to deal with. And so can you just share the overarching terminology of what we're talking about with what we say, neuroplasticity, this idea and understanding? Uh,
1: yes, I'd, l- I'd love to share that. I mean, it always reminds me of this joke where uh, people say, you know, uh, do people change or do they not change? So sometimes we say to ourselves, Oh, after someone gets married, they say, oh, they've really changed or they get married and they say this person will never change. You know, mm-hmm. so are we changeable beings or are we not changeable beings? <laughs> right? And it was it's what's really fascinating is that, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we had this idea that the brain was fixed. And so mm-hmm. based on your genetic inheritance and your upbringing, that pretty much it was it for the rest of your life. Your personality was fixed. Your bodily reactions, your physiology was fixed based on the nervous system and the brain. And in the 90s and the noughties, we started realizing that actually the brain is constantly rewiring. We are not a fixed entity. Um, And so, yes, we do keep changing um, throughout life. Uh, and that can be something which is accidental or it can be deliberate and intentional. And that spurred on this idea that when we get stuck in certain patterns and this happens to us, perhaps at a psychological level, but also at a physiological level, the brain then is neuroplastic. So neuro obviously refers to the neurons and the nervous system. Plastic means it's malleable, it's changeable. And this is now really relevant for many modern conditions that I suppose traditional medicine finds it very difficult to treat, because I believe these conditions are not hardware problems, they are software problems. They're problems of the brain and the nervous system, and that's where neuroplasticity fits in. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, it's such an exciting field and to know that we can change our brain and can rewire our brain is, I think, such an empowering model to look at not only our bodies just day in and day out, but also when you're struggling with a chronic illness, I think you can really get stuck in, it's going to take time to change. This is hard to change. I have to deal with these symptoms forever. If you go into the conventional world, a lot of my patients will start in the conventional world and then find their way to practitioner you know, like myself or my colleagues. And, you know, we just have such a different understanding of how we can really heal and really these seemingly chronic or lifelong conditions. So I I love the empowering viewpoint that this uh, provides for us. And so your program, Ashok, is really based on this understanding of what we call the limbic system and how the limbic system can be wired or stuck in this pattern. And we have to really look at the limbic system and what we call retrain it in order to recover from these chronic patterns that we're, we're sharing, like we can talk about from PTSD to mast cell to any mm-hmm. chronic symptom. And so again, uh, sharing with our audience, what are we talking about when we say limbic retraining?
1: Sure. So it's interesting because it's this phrase limbic retraining has kind of entered the zeitgeist as it were. Mm -hmm. But in fact, we believe it's not quite accurate. So we think it is limbic retraining in the sense that the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the um, the thalamus itself, and also the hippocampus, they are based in the limbic system. So the limbic system is our mammalian brain So all mammals have a limbic system. And then above that is the cortex or the neocortex, which is associated more with homo sapiens, of Mm. course, human beings. Mm. And this limbic system, its role is to protect us, essentially. And it's traditionally been associated with psychological responses. So hence PTSD and things like that. But modern neurology is helping us understand that this limbic system area is heavily involved in physiological responses and defensive responses. And another structure that we've identified is the insula, which actually isn't formally part of the limbic system, but sits between the limbic system and the cortex. Mm -hmm. And we believe that that brain structure also is very, very important for these types of conditions. And so we so if I give you a kind of overall feel of the hypothesis and that will help us kind of dig deeper. You know, when I start this, I like to ask that biggest question of all, why are we here? Yeah. So not from the philosophical perspective, we could spend hours talking about the philosophy of it, but actually from the scientific perspective that we are here because over millions of years of evolution, this nervous system, this immune system has developed through different animals and different plants to get to where we are now as human beings. So we are survival machines. So every little aspect of us is designed to help us survive so we can pass on our genes to the next generation. That means that the body's primary objective is to ensure survival, not necessarily feeling healthy. And that gives us a clue to what is happening here. So let's look at the logic of this. When we go through a severe condition, so let's take the example of uh, COVID 19, which is obviously very important for people right now. And we're seeing a lot of people who get long haul COVID. So COVID 19 comes along. And if somebody is feeling stressed or anxious or their immune system is weakened, we know that from psychoneuroimmunology, the more stressed we are, the lower the effectiveness of our immune system. So it takes us longer to fight off flu or longer to fight off COVID-19. And so what happens is the brain understands, the limbic system, the insula, understands that that particular virus is potentially life-threatening. Yeah, And many people are passing away from COVID-19. So that's even more reinforced in the brain. And we know that many people pass away from cytokine storms uh, where the body overreacts. So the brain tries to fight off COVID-19, but if it's finds that difficult or are there any challenges or something else may happen, the brain may go into this overdrive mode where it may say, let's throw everything at it. Yeah. Which is the opposite of the cytokine storm as well. But let's throw everything at it because survival is our number one priority. And sometimes what happens is even once the virus has finally been fought off, it's left a legacy in the brain, just like a kind of traumatic response. That even though that virus has disappeared or we think we fought it off, we need to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. And anything that might remind us that the virus is still here needs to then trigger that defensive response, an overreactive nervous system, an overreactive immune system. Because once again, survival is the number one priority. And so we believe the brain starts taking incoming data from the body and any symptoms that we experience in the body become what we call a conditioned trigger or a conditioned stimuli, mm-hmm. which then triggers the brain to think, well, maybe the virus is still here. Maybe we're still in danger. Right, let's trigger the nervous system and immune system to make sure we're fighting it off, just in case. It triggers a defensive response, triggers the symptoms in the body, because most of the symptoms we experience in our bodies uh, after infection tend to be our own immune system working hard. That creates the symptoms in the body. Those symptoms loop back to a hypersensitive, hypervigilant brain that believes we're in danger, triggering the very symptoms that it is, is responding to, creating this vicious cycle. And, the, and that's the case in terms of MECFS and infection. It's a case of fibromyalgia where the brain is responding to pain signals, but by doing so magnifies the pain networks and sends inflammation to the body and the brain, creating the very pain that it then reacts to. And in the case of mold illness, chemical sensitivities, slightly different, the trigger is external. Mm-hmm. So the brain may have been exposed to mold at a certain point, which could have felt dangerous. But then even 10 percent of that exposure can now trigger a mold response or an allergic response because the brain is erring on the side of caution to ensure survival. So that is the hypothesis in a nutshell.
0: Mm-hmm. No, thank you for sharing that. And that's a wonderful description and a really elegant way to look at this. And, um, you know, it's, um, I've seen a lot of um, post COVID or long haulers on um, myself. And I think what, you know, part of my Um, You know, I think the silver lining of this is this understanding of what's happening there is what we've also understood within our Lyme patients and mold illness patients and that we can um, maybe even open up the dialogue and connect the two that we can have this dialogue with medicine about post infectious syndromes, right, that, yes, we have to look at the you know, infection piece, the microbial piece, the pathogenic piece, but we, you know, have to look at our body's response because I think a lot of what we've seen, I've only been practicing about 10 years. And then what this is heightened is it's not just about the environmental threat, but it's our body's response to that threat and how we can really empower ourselves no matter what we come in contact with. We can really feel empowered on how to train our body or untrain our body to respond um, to these threats. Because modern life, I mean, there's so many threats that we're up against, right? We could we could get really bummed out and depressed all day long and thinking of all the things that we come in contact with, right? That could potentially threaten our bodies. And so, no, super fascinating, super interesting. And what I'd just like to dial back to, and I want to definitely talk more about long haulers and what you've learned and for people who are listening out there who's struggling and how this can be a solution. So you really have treated a ton of people with Lyme as well as mold illness. And can you just share a little bit about your journey with these patients and what um, you're seeing as far as this model of how to retrain their body's response to um, the threat that might be gone at this time
1: of course yes so what we find is that you know we can sometimes feel it's a linear process which is if my immune system is triggered then it means that I'm going to be better at dealing with all these opportunistic infections and once my immune system gets turned into the off position then maybe I'm more vulnerable Mm -hmm. but I want people to think of it in a different way which is After a Lyme exposure, Lyme disease infection or uh, mold exposure, what happens is the brain goes into this altered state and starts then triggering the nervous system and immune system unnecessarily, which ironically makes us more prone to opportunistic infections thriving in the body. And we know with patients with ME and CFS, they have more of these opportunistic infections like HHV-6 and, and those kinds of ones that we know are very common in the population, because when the immune system is triggered unnecessarily, all the other things in the body uh, get overlooked. And that can include the Lyme infection as well. So the chronic Lyme infection, which keeps getting tested and recurring, is because the immune system is not in its dynamic. It's not in its optimal state Mm -hmm. to be able to deal with opportunistic infections. So I always give the analogy of a castle. I so know many people love Game of Thrones, so this is a, an analogy that many people can relate to. So imagine the castle is your body, and you are the king or queen of the castle, so you're the head of the castle, and you have an army and a navy. So the army is the nervous system, the navy is the immune system. An army comes, another invader comes over the hill, so the, our defensive structure, the army and navy are fighting off that particular invader, so they fight it off. But imagine if there is a harvest problem and so there's not enough supplies in the in the in the in the castle. So now everything's very weak. The castle is weak. The Navy is weak. The army are weak. Mm. Now they think anything which comes over that hill will have to defend. So even a child walking over that hill, they think, but it could be an army. It could Mm. be a setup Mm. and they all get galvanized and they all go and try to fight and use up all the energy of the castle and of the body. And that means that they're so focused on that hill that they forget to go and defend against that hill over there on the left hand side. Mm. So opportunistic invaders get Mm. close to the castle and only at the last minute are they fought off. So the body, the castle is now being invaded by more invaders because there's an over, there's an over hypervigilance on one particular aspect or one particular hill. So I hope that that analogy uh, kind of uh, makes sense. Um, But that is the, the nature of trauma. Um, So we aren't talking about psychological trauma. We're talking about a deep physiological defensive response. Because those systems we already know operate in PTSD, there's no reason why those systems can't also appear in some of these chronic illnesses as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the castle analogy, and yeah, I think that when you are sitting with a patient like myself or my colleagues, you know we can yeah get this long list of things that we know the patient is struggling with and have to treat and to solve, and I think looking at it from this perspective, it's um you know, how do we look at this from like, it's a side effect rather than the cause of potentially um, the chronic pathology. And so I think, again, you know, starting with this or having this at the forefront of a treatment plan rather than thinking, okay, you got to take this antiviral and take this thing and then this thing and detox. And well, that's part of the, you know, that's part of the process. I mean, I do see that as instrumental and part of um, plans that work, but I think that we are missing the opportunity if we're not doing something like this or educating our patient with something like this so we see these things linger for years when we can shorten that recovery time with these tools and techniques
1: yeah absolutely and I just like to add to that that definitely these things can work in parallel yeah so we always give the analogy of you imagine you're standing on a bridge and there's Mm -hmm. people drowning Mm -hmm. so you're jumping into the river rescuing them and then jumping in again and there's more people coming down nobody's asking the question Who's throwing these people <laughs> into the river in the first place? So, you have to kind of go upstream. So, of course, we have to rescue the people. So, that is the antivirals and the supplements and all of those things from a medical perspective. But also saying, let's go upstream and stop the source of this. Why is the body going into this imbalanced state? Why is it becoming chronic? So, generally, we find that um uh, when people do a combination of both, that can be very really powerful. And it speaks to that idea of holistic health, you know, mm-hmm. genuinely holistic health. Because otherwise, Many of us as complementary practitioners, we may fall into the the same trap as mainstream medicine of it becoming very reductionist. Mm-hmm. That, ah, you have this particular enzyme, which is low. That's the cause of your condition. Therefore, we must boost that enzyme or, mm-hmm. or do this or do that. That's an important part of it. But who's asking the question? But why is the enzyme low or why is the body in this altered state? Does the body randomly just go wrong? Mm-hmm. Generally, we know that actually the stress, mental, physical, emotional stress, or ongoing uh, defensive responses unnecessarily, can begin to take the body out of homeostasis. And our aim from a holistic perspective is to bring people back to that homeostasis.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm trained as a naturopathic physician where we're always trained to, you know, ask why. And, you know, the root cause, like some people can think, oh, the root cause is Lyme. But as you're sharing, or the root cause is, you know, this genetic, you know, snip or whatever, but, you know, going even deeper, like, well, what's, you know, what's underneath that, right? Um, So I I love that perspective and I agree. I could ask a lot of different questions here. One piece that I want to, you know, integrate is that you already started mentioning trauma, right? So the the trauma of being sick, right? So the trauma of, you know, going through trying to understand what's wrong with you, the trauma of being in these symptom, um, recurrent symptom patterns. And then there's also potentially a trauma that's happened in the past that makes you more vulnerable to getting sick. And so how do you see those two kind of trauma patterns within the patients um, that you've um, supported and gone through the program? Is there a pattern that stands out that most people with a chronic illness have, a, you know, maybe a childhood trauma or um, a traumatic pattern that made them vulnerable? Or do you see this as a little bit more dynamic? I, I'm just super curious on what you see.
1: I think we would definitely say mm-hmm. that not everybody, but majority of patients we treat have had what they call ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And remember, this can be pre-verbal mm-hmm. as well, so it can be in the womb. It can be during childbirth; that can be very stressful for a, a, an infant. It can be in the first five to ten years of life in terms of upbringing experiences, even exposures, etc. And that can determine what we call the factory setting of the amygdala. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We even know that can be uh, affected by womb experiences, which essentially means how reactive is our emotional mind to Mm -hmm. emotional triggers. Um, So that can be fear, anger, guilt, shame, sadness. We all have different sensitivities. And so what that means is as we when we become an adult and then we are exposed to uh, a particular pathogen, our brain may be more primed to over rather than respond appropriately because it's more in that defensive state. Now, this is really this is a really interesting part of it. Medicine, mainstream medicine splits the different aspects of or the branches of science. So we say, OK, this is a psychology department. This is the immunology department. This is the physiology department. But the body is one living organism that constantly is interact. All these different systems are interacting. And therefore, when we talk about those psychological experiences or what seems psychological, actually, they are defensive responses. An emotional defensive response can get tied together with a physiological defensive response. And an example of this is depression, where now we're finding that 50 percent of depression cases are actually cases of massive overinflammation in the body, which mm-hmm. then impacts on the gut, which then impacts on our moods and emotions. Yeah. And that's a fascinating understanding it's showing that we can't treat these things in isolation at all and therefore uh yes these defensive responses are similar and analogous to trauma uh, but they aren't the same as trauma they're a d- different uh, set of processes and therefore sorry to, to long answer to a short question essentially yes <laughs> we i believe that our our upbringing can increase the chances of us developing these chronic conditions Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to blame our past. It's actually to say these illnesses can be a wake up call to us understanding more about who we are, where we came from and who we choose to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I see that in my own practice as well. And I think that part of the healing journey, I mean, um, not to get too esoteric, but ultimately, our our bodies are a physical barometer, I believe, of our you know emotional or spiritual consciousness, and a way for us to get in tune with that. And so, if we can have that understanding from a very physiological level of how these things can impact us, it can be an empowering way to heal these pieces of ourselves and to really recover and not be in this like, oh, I get better, I get worse, I get better, I get worse, not that complete resolution that we want for people. And when we look at these, like, really deep, deep reasons why we might be struggling. And so, no, I I, I see that as well, Ashak. And I am, um, you know, I, I know that you're seeing this, too. Um, you know, we've talked about you know, post-COVID, long haulers, whatever we're calling it, Lyme, we can talk about mold. And then I see a tremendous amount, again, I've only been practicing 10 years, but probably in the last five years, a really um, increase in what we would call mast cell activation syndrome or, you know, some spectrum of that, some, you know, variation of these overreactions like the patient that you know has to start with one drop or they might have this full-blown you know reaction or the you know these histamine responses where people have rashes to brain inflammation to gut inflammation and so what have have you seen an increase in mast cell activation and these patients again because they're so sensitive it can be really hard to lay out a treatment plan that they'll tolerate and so I find that this is even more important to put the work that you're doing at the forefront of that type of uh, protocol and plan to help their bodies recover.
1: Yes, definitely. I think we've had a, a, an upsurge in interest in the idea of mast cell activation syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think it's always existed. It's sure. just that testing is obviously more prolific now. Mm-hmm. And once again, we believe that this is a, de- a mediating response. So, what we've got to ask is, why, is the ma- why are the mast cells being activated? It's because the brain is believing that because we're in danger, let's throw the kitchen sink at it, right? Is that an American phrase, by the way, or is that a UK phrase? We throw the the kitten chick. So Mm -hmm. let's, you know, create all kinds of TH1 responses, TH2 responses. Let's create that inflammation. Let's make sure that whatever is attacking the body, we can get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, it's creating a lack of homeostasis and balance in the body, and creating severe symptoms throughout the body and that inflammation. So that so those mast cells are getting the instructions to behave the way they are. As once again one aspect of that overall defensive response and I do believe that yes we because of the I suppose the more chemically induced environment we live in with more pollution and more artificial chemicals that we ingest that primes those mast cells to become even more reactive you Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately in the population we might have a case of mild activation of those mast cells. But when it becomes a chronic condition, it be, it's because the brain itself has now become chronically sensitized.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And seeing this work really help those patients who are in this hypervigilant or sensitized state. So Ashok, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the science behind this and, you know, really your journey, but what is your program? If people um, go through your program? How have you found to really help to retrain the brain and get people out of these chronic
1: uh, states? We published our program first in 2007, so we were, one of the, the, we were the first uh, kind of neuroplasticity program and experimenting with that. You know, our program now is it's all been revamped, it's all online, and essentially it's 15 interactive video sessions and about 20 audio exercises. Which take people on a journey of how we can retrain our brain to get back to that balance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if it was an overnight thing and we all could do it really quickly, we would just do it like that. <laughs> but the the key about the brain is it responds to repetition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah? Now imagine when we're learning to drive a car. If we just respond, if we just relied on our psychology or we just relied on uh, you know changing thinking patterns that's not going to help us drive or learn to drive. We have to take, you know, 10, 20, 30 lessons to train our nervous system to automate processes. Mm -hmm. And so it is with brain retraining that we have to recognize where the brain is going down a particular pathway, Mm -hmm. interrupt that signaling, and bring the brain to a different pathway Mm -hmm. and do that repeatedly again and again and again. And we are retraining a survival response. So it's like saying, if you put your hand on a hot plate, You're training your brain to say, although it feels hot, that isn't a hot plate. You don't need to lift your hand off it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: That's it. That's what we're doing. So it's perfectly possible. It just requires commitment and repetition to get the brain into understanding that that we are no longer in danger. That pathogen or that stimuli isn't dangerous. It's not life threatening to us. Mm -hmm. And many people might say, "Well, hang on, but Ashok, you know, mold is dangerous, or these chemicals are dangerous." And what we say is. Sure, we want to lead a detoxified life as much as possible, as much as practically as possible. Mm -hmm. But our responses or people with these conditions, these responses are over responses. Mm -hmm. So one day in your life, you may have responded to 100 percent trigger. But now you're responding to just 10 percent of that trigger. So that is the brain's over response. Mm -hmm. So, yes, lead a practically detoxified life. Mm-hmm. But retrain your brain at the same time. Those are two, you know, they're two different things. So our brain retraining program, as I said, is online and there's webinars, so there's weekly webinars people get. We've trained 20 or 30 coaches around the world so people can get that one-on-one support. And we have a beautiful, loving community of people who support mm-hmm. each other through this process because you know social learning is very important now. And yeah, that's how the Gupta program works. And as you know, we've we've had several studies published, but until mm-hmm. we have that large scale phase three randomized control trial uh we offer a one-year money-back guarantee on our program uh, no questions asked so Mm. people can try it see if it works for them if it doesn't get their money back and they can use that money on another treatment so we think we'd love for people to experience the you know the benefits of this
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've I've seen it uh, be very valuable and transformative to my patients. So I know that you're doing great work. And with people who, let's say the average patient that I see, the Lyme, mold, mast cell type patient, or even now the um, post-COVID patient, what is a reasonable amount of time that you've seen? I know everyone's individual, of course, but that you've seen uh, people need to really commit to this work um, to see results in their own life.
1: Yes. I mean, we... Say our program is a minimum six month program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now most people get better within weeks and months, mm-hmm. but we say minimum six months because we don't want people to become complacent. Yeah. That is the key thing, because many people just want to get better and then go back into their crazy world again. But we <laughs> say, no, this, this, these illnesses come along because they are teaching us about self-love and self-care and pacing. So we want people to get well and stay well. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example of this uh, we had um, a couple of long-haul patients who were actually a father and son who both got covid at a similar time and both got long covid which was you know really unfortunate this guy was 56 years old his son was in early 20s he was 56 years old and he was a marathon runner mm-hmm. he cycled 100 miles a week and suddenly was floored by long covid and was couldn't get off the sofa for months and he started using our program and I mean, with most long haul patients, we're seeing results within days and weeks. Mm. But for him, it took many, many weeks before he noticed any benefit. Mm. Yeah? And he was really glad that he stuck to it because after about month two, suddenly the improvements came mm. and then there was a rapid improvement in month three. And now he's back to 100%. He's, uh, once again, you know, training for a half marathon, uh, cy- you know, cycling 100 miles a, a week once again. Mm. So it shows you that. This is really a process of Mm. um, letting go of our skepticism and our barriers, and just saying, "Let me just surrender to this. Let me really put this into practice, Mm. and I will see the results." Mm. Yeah, Mm. and obviously, we say six months because that's a a minimum commitment, but generally, within weeks and months, people see the benefits. So, most of our long haul patients get to about between a ninety to one hundred percent recovery in within three months, and Mm. that's obviously anecdotal evidence. And we are looking to Uh, do clinical trials to to prove that
0: Mm, that's wonderful news and some people I know might be thinking okay after that six months and after I'm better is there a maintenance program or there's a maintenance kind of lifestyle practice that you recommend um, when people are recovered
1: Uh, yes for sure so in our final session we say right (laughs) how to stay well Uh, so we go in depth in terms of our personality styles our stress and anxiety maintenance how do we maintain that health in terms Mm of practical things we do day-to-day as well as self-awareness so Mm -hmm. all of that is incredibly important so yes we say it's not that you do the GUPTA program for the rest of your life but you maintain that Mm self-care because this illness is showing us that we do have a sensitive nervous system and Mm -hmm. you've talked about sensitivity therefore we have to work with that rather than ignore it
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. As we wrap up, I want to definitely talk about the awesome studies that you've demonstrated, how and why this works. I just want to touch on one thing. You mentioned this idea of self-love and you know, really getting people in the state of uh, compassion and gratitude as they go through this process. And I'm just curious about your own experience or understanding. I, I am, I'm taking that dive into studying heart uh, brain coherence. And so thinking about you know, how, you know, really to also heal and retrain our brain, we have to connect to that um, heart energy, you know, through the work of heart math and Joe Dispenza. And, you know, um, now our nervous system has a direct line to our heart. And so I was just curious about any insights you have about that connection.
1: Uh, yes, of course. So there's many different branches of uh, complementary alternative medicine that talk about the heart. And obviously the ones you, the traditions you've mentioned, but also the Eastern traditions talked about what they call chakras or energy centers and the heart being absolutely central and important to love and also fear. So this is the key part of it. When we are in defensive states, whether they be emotional, but also physiological, as we've talked about, there is a disconnect here. And so the nervous system and immune system are over responding and over defending. And that is what I believe is a tightness here. So many of our patients have a tightness here or a negative energy that pushes down into the stomach. There's butterflies in the stomach as well. So when we start understanding self-compassion, self-love, that is the flip side of fear. That is a primary kind of spectrum that we talk about. As a part of healing, this idea of joy of self care of self love self compassion they are an important part of healing that's been ignored uh, very much in the kind of mainstream medicine and we know that people heal faster when they have supportive communities and groups around them and so we need to leverage that for sure so when we talk about the heart connection there's both an energetic piece and there's also a neurological piece if we talk about science so at the scientific level there's a huge amount of neuronal activity here also in the gut as well which is all interconnected uh, yeah so in summary addressing that heart aspect is an important part of the the healing
0: mm-hmm. yeah no thank you for sharing that I think that is you know such a big part of this work in this medicine that um yeah it's just always important to inspire people around these ideas, I think, Um, especially right now when we do feel disconnected and fearful and alone. Yeah, there's lots of tools to support us there. So Ashok, what what is probably the most fun part of your work, right, is seeing uh, not only people recover, but then also having the science to support what you're sharing, right, and how you've been doing uh, research and studies on this methodology. And seen really awesome statistics. And so I'd love for you to share what you've learned uh, through your research projects.
1: Yes. Um, so we conducted a, a one year study, which was a clinical audit. So there was no control in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found after one year of patients with MECFS, two thirds of patients reached an 80 to 100% recovery within a year, and 90% of patients made some kind of improvement. Yeah. then very recently we're very excited that we published a randomized control trial this was an independently conducted trial on fibromyalgia patients and it was just an eight-week intervention now we're at obviously a six-month intervention, so eight weeks is very short uh, mm-hmm. but it found that in the control group there was no change in fibromyalgia scores but in the active gupta program group there was close to a 40 percent reduction in fibro scores which is fantastic mm-hmm. there was a halving of pain a doubling of functional, a fifty percent increase in functional capacity, and a halving of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. and very small size effects in the control group. So this is the first randomised control study ever published on a neuroplasticity program. And it's very very exciting, mm-hmm. and we're now moving on to kind of phase three trials and larger trials to finally prove the effectiveness of of, of this program. So now it's for people to realise when we have that scepticism or we don't commit to something like this. That's one thing, but now we have the science to back it up, or certainly initially initial promising studies that can spur us on to really want to make this work for ourselves. Mm
0: -hmm. Congratulations, that's really exciting. And those statistics are huge. I mean, Mm. to get drug approved, you're usually above 30%, you know. So to see this type of you know, change and transformation with people who've been really struggling, probably for you know, up to decades is probably Mm. rewarding. So this is really exciting. And I'm excited to see where your research and your work continues to go. I want to thank you from my patients and my community. I know that your work has been so impactful for so many people. And it's yeah, we're just getting started in some ways, right? Um, Yeah,
1: there's thousands of sufferers. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people right now are suffering from all kinds of chronic conditions, which their doctor does what they can, but there's can't really understand this because it's a software problem not a hardware problem mm-hmm. and it's people like yourselves and other you know functional and integrative doctors as well naturopaths who are really beginning to see that you know this is this holistic approach is is, is the way forward so it's, it's we're on the cusp of what I call bioelectrical medicine mm-hmm. a whole new branch of medicine which is really uh, getting to the root cause of 70 to 80 percent of conditions which present themselves in a doctor's surgery
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're speaking my language. And I I agree. I think through this crisis, it can be so challenging, right, to see what um, people are suffering through in the chronic conditions and COVID and so forth. But I think, as you said, we're on this paradigm shift, right, and this entering into what I call the future of medicine, right, that we can really um, not have these be, you know, offshoots or in the alternative world, but that really at the forefront of how we look and um, look at our bodies and how we really recover our bodies from this under so it's an exciting time, and thank you for being part of that paradigm shift <laughs> and all the work that you're doing. And Ashok, we're going to have information about your program, and you've been so um, generous to offer my community a discount. And so we'll have um, information in the show notes about a link on how to uh, find that. But can you just share for anyone who's interested in learning more about your work, um, where, where can they go?
1: Of course, yes. So um, they can visit guptaprogram.com and they can sign up for a 28-day free trial. So there's, you don't even have to put your credit card in and you'll get lots of videos and lots of information about what might be causing uh, your condition, and the underlying causes. And then if you choose to then upgrade to actually have the program longer term, uh, then obviously uh, we'd, we'd love for you to try it. And once again, you have no risk. One year money back guarantee. I don't think there's anything out there that gives you uh, your money back for up to a year. Uh, no questions asked. So we'd love for people to try it and really see the benefits of it. And I, and I really hope that people commit to it. That's the key thing that just trust in it let go you know suspend your skepticism and see that this makes logical sense and it has the scientific backing behind it
0: Mm, thank you so much and no that's really wonderful that you know this isn't a stressful thing to commit to right you know you have no risk really so no that's that's wonderful and i um again will have all of this information in the show notes and i'm so um excited that i got to connect with you today and i hope this is the beginning of many other conversations so thank you
1: Thank you, Christine. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Ashok Gupta. Please check out his website and please check out in the show notes the discount code that he generously gave our community for you to explore this exciting work for your brain and your body to recover.